Hello and welcome to Two Fat Expats. If you're new around these parts and you're looking for a nice big long intro, just go back a few episodes and you'll hear a bit more about us. But for those who are always here, I'm saving you the pushing the fast forward button so you don't have to hear it all over again. Nikki Moffat, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Kirsty Rice. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. The weather has turned in Doha. We are now in every day is a good day in Doha. There's The heat has gone. Um, and I know that you're in Queensland where everything is always good because it's beautiful one day, perfect the next is its uh, iconic <laughs> tagline that it's kept. Uh, Nikki, the expat world, we always start with a couple of questions. I have one for you. Uh, so we always see in our Two Fat Expats Facebook group, I want to say once a fortnight, is that, um, am I being off kilter there? But I would say there's always a, uh, I'm moving to Abu Dhabi, can someone tell me what's a good salary? Or I'm moving to London, what's a good salary? I'm moving to Jakarta, what's a good salary? And it's one of those questions of, you know, how long is a piece of string? So many things that can, you know, depend on that, of of what you spend your money on, of schooling, of housing, of, you know, of what's thrown into your package, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we have covered all these things before in previous podcasts. We will cover them again. But what I wanted to say, what I think the real question should be is what is the cost that you can't or don't foresee when you move? Um, Because we can all sit down and write down all of the expenses in our everyday lives that we have all the time and what, what we spend our money on now. But what we quite often don't think about is what's going to hit us when we get there that we haven't factored in for what what do you think yours would be Nikki what was what was one of the ones where in one of your how many moves did you have five (laughs) five or six moves yeah I would say um I saw someone in the group I saw that you asked also this question in the group Kirsty and I read a few of the answers earlier I haven't seen the full list but I'd say that the, the lovely Rachel did cover something that has happened to me a few times and that is just the selling of your furniture at such cut price yes. discount, yes. discount prices that you yeah. sell it and then you have to replace it. But you have to replace it usually at full price. You can't always replace it at cut yeah. price, discount prices. Yeah. Th- th- yeah. That same that same person isn't waiting for you at the other end that you were when you got, had to get rid of your six-seater um, three-piece cane outdoor furnishing set uh, yeah. because you absolutely had nowhere to put it, but then you have to buy something else at the new place. I think that's it. The, the, the replacement furniture, you don't always factor in. Even if you do factor in the IKEA, you don't always factor in the replacement furniture cost. I think that is a big thing that happens um, and you and you think, oh, well, it'll be all right. You know, we needed a new X, Y, Z. Yes. But just the price of a bed that you looked up online is no longer the price of a bed when you arrive and you have to have something that you have to have delivered oh. in a couple of weeks, I think cars. I think cars are a big yeah. one for that. For ca- cars but, are a yeah. big one. Yeah. You're trying to keep your car right up until the day you know, yeah. close enough to when you leave, but you want to you want to make sure you sell it, yes. And then, then of course, you get to the other end, and you've yeah, 
it's it's full price. Cars is absolutely true. I remember selling my car, going to the bank, exchanging things two hours before I was going to the airport. Like I had just left Ooh. selling my car to the absolute last minute because yeah. in South Africa I just could not not have a car. And, um, yeah, no, that was absolutely, yeah, no, very hairy, the whole process. The other thing is is sometimes sporting unforeseen sporting costs so your child might join a new sporting team or take up a new sport and all of a sudden there's hundreds or sometimes thousands of dollars you have to pay up front before you even know if your kid's going to even like the sport but you have to join the team you have to pay for the uniform you have to pay for the uh, travel that they may never do but it all has to be paid for up front at the start of the season and you want your kid in there and you want them to you know feel part of the whole process so you just suck it up and, and heaven heaven help the those who's those who have children in Canada who take up ice hockey and I know Canadians before you kill me for calling it ice <laughs> hockey I know it's just hockey but I have to use the word ice for everybody else so they know um but yes I, I remember looking at that that that's an expensive uh a sport, sport hockey in Canada because you need you need enough ice rinks and actually you'll find yourself at 11 p.m. you know at the under nines <laughs> um, yes so you know I think I think everyone factors in the rental and the shipping and the storage and the groceries and the clubs and the entertainment and the transport blah 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 but I think one thing that has happened uh, to me on almost every move is just those little kitchen items that you you forget. Yes, and somebody has put a fabulous list in the group of kitchen stuff that they pack in their suitcase so that they have it at the service department or, you know, the hotel. We had a, a long chat about vegetable peelers and potato mashes in the church. Oh, my God. Vegetable, how- the excellent of a good vegetable peeler. It cannot be surpassed. I mean, yes. it's a comfort. It's almost a, a necessary comfort when you move countries. Do you know, Nikki, I grew up in a house that didn't have a potato masher. We were, we were used the four. There was a special fork, I have to say. It was a more sturdier, big sort of golden <laughs> fork. But it was a fork, no less. We did not use a potato masher. But we are, we have people in our groups who tell me that they now have four or five from, from moving from place to place. Um, yes, but uh, the other one is the attesting of documents. So I think... Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So you think that you've given everything in your job interview with your bachelor's degree and your assessment of all those things and then you suddenly get to your new location and you realize oh no you want my wedding certificate because you know I need to prove that I'm married if I want to live here or go to a hospital or do whatever there's going to be all sorts of documents whether it's your birth certificate and and heaven help you if you were you are a citizen of one country and, and birthed in another like my children uh, mostly are. Medication is a big one. You may find that they don't have your medication in the country that Mm. you're moving to or if they do, it is three times the price. There are some countries that have uber cheap medication. I'm in a country that has very cheap medication because it's all sort of subsidised. That cost me a lot more if I were to buy it in Australia. Someone said they hadn't they hadn't thought about how expensive 
their cat's plane ticket was going to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, as pets. So you just assume that pets are expensive, but then you actually see exactly how expensive and then that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people that have stayed in locations waiting for their dog to to pass on rather than move their 10,000 pound dog, you know, and I'm not talking about its size, I'm talking about its cost. Um, so yes, that is one. Anyway, I just thought they were some interesting ones. If you are moving at the moment and you think you've got it all and you think you've covered it all, I mean, you're talking, you're listening to a woman who moved to Canada and then went and bought winter coats for everybody because we had moved from uh, Libya to Canada and I still remember sitting in the car park with babies and little tiny people while my husband ran inside to go and buy brand new winter coats. That was not uh, an inexpensive exercise. No, it stays with me. Not. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay, Nikki, what's your question? So this is something that came up for me recently um, when talking with a friend. So it's about expat loss and we've covered a little bit before about that and when some things happen. But what happens when you lose a friend and you don't have your community around you? So this particular situation was that um, two people had been together in an expat location for around eight years and then they'd both moved to different countries and then one of them had passed away so they had been together for a long time they were deep deep friends with an amazing group of, of friends around them and then one of the people has passed away and the other person is living in another country basically mm. with no support around them and yeah. grieving and grief is so so difficult yeah. and just grieving by yourself and I'm sure it has happened to more than one person in the group um, and just and like – I'm, I'm guessing that the person who passed away it was a sudden and unexpected death? Um, yes, I believe that was the case, yes. Mm. It just – it really was very, very difficult and I, and I just – I think that it's just really difficult to understand someone's grief and when you're by yourself and you're grieving, it's really hard to see – things around you that can be positive and you want to withdraw from where you are because the mm. people around you who you don't know necessarily very well don't understand your situation and what you're no. going through and how can they what can you do what would you do Kirsty, in that situation or what advice could you give to people in that situation well, that is awful because you know the thing with grief is, you know, my, my mum lost her mum. My mum was only 16 when she lost her mum and she always talks about that um, the hardest thing for her was that the world seemed to carry on, do you know, mm. and that she as a 16-year-old girl just didn't understand how, how could the world possibly carry on now that her mother was dead, that the whole world should stop because her whole world had stopped. And as we get older... We understand that more, you know, we understand that the world does go on and that we have to continue to put one foot in front of the other and that that time uh, doesn't make it any easier but it, it does heal some of, you know, those wounds. Um, it just sort of glosses over them a little bit. But so for me, like you, you were saying, Nikki, that she um, was part of a group, like her and her friend were part of a group. Yep. So it sounds like she really needs to rely on that group right now. 
So I would suggest that someone in that group needs to form a specific group chat that is specific to grief um, so that while the other chats are going on about, you know, we went to the zoo, we went to here, we went to there, we did whatever, I would have a, a, a grieving um, chat where you can, you know, just talk about solely that and let her know you're there, f- there for her and, you know, maybe you put in the things that um, so you, you add into that the things that remind you of that person and the stories and the photos and the, all those things uh, so that so that people can see that they are still there in their world and they're not forgotten and that they will always live on and that there are a group of people that recognise that friendship and recognise it, that it's not, it hasn't disappeared Um and that would be mine, that you, that you keep that. So it's almost like a memory book, but it's a, a living memory book that you can keep adding to and keep talking to. Um, that would be my idea. I don't know. You've probably uh, already done that. Yeah, I think that that's probably something that, that, that they've got set up. But it's mm. just I, I just feel so much um, for her and being so far away. I mean, I wasn't friends with the other person, but I was friends with her. And so I feel her pain and I understand as an, as a globally mobile person now living in a third country that she doesn't have the support network around her. And I understand having, you know, I lost my mum when I, when I had no support network in the U S and, and it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty similar thing in that you just walk around every day going, but nobody here understands me. Like no yeah. one understands what I'm going through. And you, yeah. you can go and, and be and, you know, meet new people and have fun times. But then when you go home, you still it's still there. Like it just yeah. sort of the wave hits you again. And, and yeah. I just think even knowing that other people have that understanding and, and that know that, you know, you want to be there to support them or, or reach out. And I think that this isn't one of the things about – if you have expats, friends who are in different locations any time of the day or night because you might wake up thinking about it in the middle of the night and if you can put, as you say, in a grief chat or just in a group of friends, mm. some, someone's going to be awake and they're going to be able to, to sort yeah. of just, just chat with you about it at that time. You know, Nikki, it's just like, um, you know, we all do this thing where we see something that reminds us of someone and, and you can, if, if you're a social media person, it's so lovely that you can forward a joke or a vision or a pitch, oh, this reminds me so much of you. This reminds me of when we did that. Oh, my God, this person is you when we went yep. to blah, blah, blah. And that's what keeps those friendships going, right? Greg and I wake up on, and it's one of the my favourite things that, that I'll talk about later, but we wake up on Friday morning to a message from friends in Amsterdam saying, oh, my goodness, we've just watched this thing. Anyway, and immediately we knew we had to watch it. Do you know? because it's just and then talk about now that's only a tiny thing um but it just keeps that friendship going and and um the reminders there and the chance for a couple of extra jokes i think with your friend she needs to be reminded that there are people that recognize her friendship and uh what she's lost yeah for her to get through it it's awful but it is one of the 
terrible things about this life we choose. This is what we sign up for and we don't realise we're signing up for it when we do. No. And you would never yeah. sign up for it if if you knew yeah. all the things that were going to happen. But, again, mm-hmm. all the, the amazing things that happened that you could never have also foreseen. It's just a swings and roundabout situation. Isn't it but funny, when it's Nikki? very, very bad, it's very, very bad. And when it's good, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Nikki, what's funny is when we take off on these uh, adventures, you know, everyone will say, you know, I, I, I can distinctly remember when I told everyone at work we were living in Perth and I told everyone that G and I were off to Jakarta. And I can remember everyone, nobody said, Oh, that'll be terrible. Everybody said, that's amazing. You're going to have an amazing time. Nobody said, oh, great, you're going to meet a whole bunch of people and then you're going to be brokenhearted when you have to say goodbye to them and then you're going to go to another country and you're going to do the same thing again. You're going to meet another (laughs) bunch of people and you're going to be brokenhearted when you see them and then you will just perpetually do this over and over and over until you're in your 50s and you're playing golf with a really good new friend and they say, oh, we're going to move and you think, oh, but you, it's a whole, you know, here of I go again. You are. Yeah, of, <laughs> of course, course you are. Because I've just found you and we've just got to the stage where we stand by the car and talk for 10 minutes when we leave somewhere yeah. and laugh and laugh and laugh and I get in the car and think, God, I love you. You are fantastic. Of course you are. Um, yeah, so this is this life we signed up for, isn't it? I know. It's so weird because my mother-in-law was just asking me tonight, um, she's visiting at the moment, she said, I just want to ask you about your friends. Like who do you think your friends are like after all this time you've been away? And I was what like. What a deep question from yeah, your yeah. mother-in-law. <laughs> That's a very, very deep question for someone who's just got off the plane. <laughs> well, the train. She got the train from Brisbane. Oh, a fancy. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then, oh, can I just say as a quick aside, train travel it was like I was at the airport. Like the people Ooh. were dressed to, to travel. There were very fancy outfits getting on and off the train, beautiful luggage. It's a train Ooh. that goes from Brisbane to Rockhampton. And there there were but there were like the car park was full and overflowing of people being picked up. It was nuts. It was like it's just like being at an airport going to this train yeah. station and picking up my oh, I'd much train. I'd much rather catch a train <laughs> than a plane. Anyway, so the question was like who do you think your friends are? And I was like, well, you know, it's like we've talked about before. I think my friends are all these people that you wouldn't necessarily think are my friends because I don't talk to them every day or every week. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't keep up with them in the same way that you think you should keep up with friends. I'm like, mm. I've got all these friendships that I've put on hold in this very, in this state of extreme closeness or whatever that I, that I feed or water, like, you know, by, you know, Marco Polo, WhatsApp, social media, but I still think, and I might talk to them like, you know, on the phone or face to face, whatever. I hate video chats, as you know, um, <laughs> very often but I still feel like they are my very best friends so it's it's just it's so hard to explain to somebody who you think your friends are and so I think that even someone who this person you know maybe their family and friends at home wouldn't understand even this situation from them it would only be their other expat friends that might understand this particular Mm. situation without going back over it all we know that we share 
a lot with our expat friends very quickly and we because we have to you know we have to give the backstory and whatever um so Kirsty, why don't you tell us about your three favorite things Okay, so we've all talked about Beckham and how great Beckham was and now this week we've got Robbie Williams who's, uh, his documentary has come out on Netflix and it's four episodes and it's nothing like David Beckham. <laughs> it is dark. Nikki, have you watched it? I haven't watched it yet but I'm definitely going to because I oh. loved my Robbie Williams concert which I've spoken about before yes. as one of my favourite things. Yes, well, you will. I think for me, one of the biggest eye openers because I love Robbie Williams as well, and I've loved his concerts. I think he is the ultimate entertainer. Um, but you will realize that there's Rob and then there's Robbie, and they are two completely different people. And that Robbie is the entertainer, and that whole let me entertain you is very much what he sees himself as, and that he sees that as his role in life. Um, but it it is very dark because Robbie Williams has had a video diary his entire life. He has had someone recording him and he has kept all oh, these tapes. Oh, that's terrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so he has talked to the camera, his girlfriends have talked to the camera, his mates that he's worked with have talked to the camera, band members, etc. So everybody has talked to the camera at different on holidays when they've been recording, in studios, whatever. So we sort of start with Robbie in Take That and then we see he was 16, Nikki, when he was in Take That. He was the baby. Everybody else was 20, 21. Yeah. Yep. He saw and did things no 16-year-old boy is probably yes. ready to see yeah. and do and rightly so sort of went completely off the tracks. And so you see his drug addiction. You see him just, you know, drinking. He was drinking a bottle of vodka a day along with a bit of Coke and a few pills and everything else anyway. Then you see him have a disastrous breakup with the band and then uh, – they then sort of uh, you watch him get out of rehab and get his life together and and do his solo career. Uh, the highlights for me were definitely I'd completely forgotten he went out with Nicole Appleton, but you only see a little bit of that, and then you get the Jerry Halliwell times. And because I'm a Formula One fan, I see Jerry in uh, the Formula One series, also on Netflix. But I also did watch it thinking she must have agreed to let him show this. There's no way he could have used it. So just the insight, you know, once again, it's the insight into that time, that music, that lifestyle. But... You watch Robbie Williams have a nervous breakdown, basically, and mm. uh, it is sh- shocking and and quite dark. And he does the whole thing in his jocks and singlet from his bed, in his uh, in his beautiful beautiful mansion and that's the other thing is you kind of see outside beautiful mansion beautiful gardens lovely laughing children everything's manicured lovely lovely and then you watch him you watch him watch the videos and you watch his face as he watches the videos and then he comments on 
on what's happening in his life. It just, I'll, I'll wait for you to see it. Maybe we can go back and rediscuss when you've seen it and if you've got anything to add. But I loved it, thought it was well worth watching, but definitely a whole different thing. The second one is the one that my friends Erica and Andrew sent me a message. <laughs> we woke up on a Friday morning to, oh my God, you have to go and watch Last Stop Larimer, which is an Australian series. And Nikki, you had listened to the podcast years I ago. I had listened to the podcast, yeah, correct. My my sister had watched a different doco years and years before that, before the podcast. Right, yes. I'm sure you mean the podcast was based on like some kind yes. of media and that's why someone yes. picked it up. Yeah. Yeah. And so the story is <laughs> a town of 11 people, one of those people uh, <laughs> dies. And so the 10 people are suspects. It sounds like it couldn't be true. Unfortunately, it's very true. And it's very scary in who these people are. Um, I don't know if anyone follows Christian Hull on Instagram, but Christian Hull does a fantastic – I'll find a way to sort of share it in the group maybe later, but he does a fantastic take on it. All of these people are really, really odd um, in that, uh, well – I won't use the term that my friends in Amsterdam use, but they may have inferred that they could have all been related mm, in some way. Mm. Um, By but, birth, yeah. <laughs> yes. But it's all about these people that have, have stayed in a town that died years and years and years ago um, and there is a and they don't like each other. And no. it is just and you and so you sit there going, oh well, you definitely killed him. Like when they start with you know whoever at the pie shop, you definitely did it. And then you meet someone that didn't like him even more, and it's like, oh no, you definitely didn't do it. And and then what what makes it uh, even more curious is that they do have tape from ten years ago of these people because these people were the subject of a doco. 10 years ago that was really about the town dying so people have footage of them so you can see because in that footage they're all being very honest about how they feel about everyone anyway so last stop larimer also on netflix uh well worth for the giggles and the horror uh and my last (laughs) one was i was going to talk about what we call morning wars but i think in america it's called the morning show but we've we've discussed that but i've i finished it nikki have you finished it I haven't finished, no. Oh, we can't. We yeah. can't. Um, and I don't want to um, – I'm not going to spoil anything because I went and watched it because I got the sense that it was going to be spoiled for me very quickly if because it, it was yeah. such a cliffhanger ending. Right. Uh, but my favourite, favourite, definitely favourite thing, as in it gave me enormous joy, was Glenn Maxwell getting 201 runs yeah. in India at the World Cup uh cricket now i know that lots of people don't follow cricket and i definitely know this because uh from all of my american friends that just sat there looking at me blankly when i was getting so (laughs) excited about it but the scenario was so in a cricket game you have to get everybody out those people bat like you might bat it in baseball but uh, to give you an idea, and you've got to get them all out. In one-day games, you've got to get the batter has to get as many runs as they can to win. So 
Afghanistan, and Afghanistan has had Nikki this this fairy tale Amazing. story, yes. Amazing story. You know, these guys have have trained and practiced in Kabul. They've had to travel for miles and miles, you know, to play games, and they have done so well. Yeah, and it looked like there was going to be this fairy tale because they 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 got two hundred and ninety two runs when they were batting. And then the Australians come, came into that and there was what you would call a batting collapse <laughs> where Afghanistan just got them all out so quickly. Like So they were seven for 90, I think it was. So they now, only needed to get a couple more wickets and they were done. Yes, for people that don't follow cricket, you have to get 10 yes. people out to win, to yes. win the game and, in this situation. And usually when you get to seven... Those last three happen very quickly because they're all the bowlers. So they put all the yes. batters at the front and then they leave the bowlers at the back. So we ended up that we had one guy, Glenn Maxwell, who was out there batting with our captain who is a bowler and has never scored more than 21 in his life. <laughs> so And we needed over 150 runs to win. So I was on the couch with my husband and Glenn Maxwell started batting and he was batting incredibly well and I and we were going to I had a golf lesson and my husband was going to come and watch and then we were going to you know have a hit together and even though we had over 100 runs to get and it was impossible so if you look now with technology they can give you the probability that a team's going to win or lose Australia had zero percent we didn't even have 0.05 like we had a zero percent chance of winning and Afghanistan had a hundred percent and but when Glenn Maxwell started batting it was like could he I don't know could he and I said to my husband look I'm sure we're all going to get out and if we do you know jump in the car and come and see me but I don't think you should leave because I think this could be something really big that you're about to see. Anyway, sure enough, off he went. And the thing that makes it, it wasn't just that he got to 201 because he did it in just spectacular fashion, but it was that he got to 150 and he had what can only be described as a full body cramp where he laid flat (laughs) on his back like he ran you saw that it was you watched it happen like you watched him hit a six and then go geez my leg hurts and then you saw him run and as he started to run his whole body just went into spasm and he was laying on the ground like a plank he called it the salmon (laughs) but it was just him with his arms and legs stretched out anyway the physio runs out says to him what are we going to do he says I don't think I can stand up and the physio suggests why don't you just stand at the wicket, hit as many as you can. You don't, if you can't run, don't run. But what have you got to lose? Because you're not going to feel any better if you come off right now. And it was all very tense. You know, you can imagine the, Af- the Afghanistanis are rubbing their hands together going, yay, we've got him, Do you know, just through pure, he's, got, he's going to have to go off. And he didn't go off. And then he proceeded to hit another 50 runs standing at the wicket with his legs all astray which completely defies all rules of cricket like cricket is meant to be a foot game you're meant to move your feet and he just kept going and it was it was just incredible so I went to my golf lesson Greg was on on the on the couch but at golf I'm surrounded by a, a group of men who are all from India 
you know, Pakistan, that that side of the world, Nepal. And Nepal, while you don't hear a lot about Nepal and their cricketers, they are going to be in the World Cup at the next World Cup. So they're just as cricket crazy, right? Mad, yeah. Yes. So we're watching it on people's phones while I'm having my <laughs> golf lesson <laughs> with my mate Anwar who, who who has played cricket with Kapil Dev, which will only mean something to the half of the world that play um Cricket. Plays cricket. He's, yeah, so Dev plays golf and so he's played golf with him, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. So we're talking about that and we're and I'm having, you know, 10 shots and we're looking at the phone, 10 more shots looking at the phone, 10 more shots looking at the phone. Watching this, what, the most iconic moment unfold and it is just beautiful and I just say to anyone, if you, yeah, if you don't understand cricket and you've never understood it, go to YouTube and find Glenn Maxwell, Australia versus Afghanistan and just see the end of it and you'll get an idea of why it was just so exciting. So it was fantastic. And I just love, Nikki, that technology has allowed us now to be part of these things because I I got to watch it with two Australian commentators commentating and a Kiwi, and the Kiwi was the one who did an incredible job, I have to say. He was brilliant. But uh, through the power of podcasts, I got to listen to all the interviews and hear all of the the joy the next morning, you know, on Australian radio, which we, you know, we never would have got 10 years ago. No, no. Yeah. It, it okay. was amazing. Well, I went to bed when it was zero chance of winning. Yeah. <laughs> like many Australians did because it was in the middle of the night for Australians. <laughs> it was in the middle of the night for Australia. So we all went to bed and then we woke up to yep. amazing celebrations. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. So that is a good one. Kirsty, my favourite things. Okay, first of all, I have to say that um, I have talked about this podcast before, but I'm just such I, – whenever I go back, I'm always think, thinking – it should never get to the bottom of my list. It should always be on the must listen on the day it comes out or the day after it comes out. And it's Hard Fork by the New York yes. Times. And it's a podcast about a lot of things, but at the moment it's a lot about AI. And um, I listened to an old one today um, when I was cleaning the house because my mother-in-law's coming. I think I've said that she's here now. <laughs> um, so one of the things you do is, and I unpacked my last box in the kitchen this morning, so it's all tying in together. But oh. um, basically I was listening and it started talking about a couple of things. It started talking about um, – so they've just started doing YouTube videos. So it talked about how to be big on YouTube. And then it talked about all sorts of really interesting things. So it didn't talk about, you know, viral moments and um, beefs. And, you know, they sort of had a bit of a joke about that. But it just talked about consistency and um, just this really interesting stuff about, you know, just being on YouTube and how the YouTube algorithm has changed over time and what it used to say was good and how clever it's become. So, you know, videos that used to have viral moments that, that YouTube couldn't tell you why, but they just saw that they had a lot of likes and they were watched a lot. So they would serve it up to people more and more and more just just on those parameters. And yeah. now it sort of can understand more about the parameters. And it was just it was really fascinating because yeah. if you if you listen like to this listen podcast, to you're probably a YouTube watcher as well at, from time to time. And just mm. understanding what YouTube feeds you and why they feed it to you was super interesting. And yeah. then the other thing the other thing that it started talking about was um the latest version of Chat GPT and the um, visual uh, chat, GB, oh, the visual AI, which is associated with it, which is called DALI, 
and Delhi. And it got me so inspired that after I finished, I ran off to ChatGPT and I created some artwork. And first of all, it, I, it, I said, oh, please use the Two Fat Expats logo and show one of us in Qatar and one of us in Australia. And it said, I can't use logos. I can't guarantee oh. where it came from. So it's actually it's actually um, becoming more and more um, cognizant of actually it's making decisions on particular things. So yeah. it, won't, it, it wouldn't use a McDonald's logo if I'd put it in there and it wouldn't use the Two Fat Expats logo. It said this looks like a logo and I can't tell who owns it. So it's out. Oh. You can't use it. Wow. So yep. that's why I ended up creating the picture which I shared and which we can share in the in the show notes. Um, and I loved, me- I loved the picture, <laughs> but I did say my reply to you was, hmm, can it make us a little bit more rounder because we look great. <laughs> And I said, and I replied to you, yes, I asked it to make us rounder and this is what I got. And I said, I think ChatGPT, I think this Dally is actually staffed by young men who they've set the algorithms. It couldn't make us go rounder. There was no more rotundness left. Um, It just kept giving me other options of what we should look like in ball gowns and dresses and all sorts of things. Um, Anyway, so I just really loved it. And I just think that there is so much, it just reminded me that there's so much that you can do with AI and that you should be, not you should be, but that you can be doing to help you in whatever you're doing in your day-to-day anyway. Um, So that just reminded me, just gave me a little nudge back in that direction, which I really, really enjoyed. And the other thing is, oh, well, just a TV show. I'm watching Bosch Legacy Season 2. So Bosch was a very lovely show that I watched. It was like a police procedural and and it's on Amazon Prime. And then there was a Bosch legacy because they said, we're finished Bosch, it's all over. And everyone said, no, you can't do that. So they brought out a new series called Bosch Legacy, which basically was Bosch, but Uh a couple of years on. And so that was, that had season one, season two has just come out. It's been doing week to week drops, which is very annoying when you want to binge on something. Um, So you should always wait to the end. But I'm here to tell you the end of the season is upon us. So if you haven't looked at it yet, please uh, have a look at it now. Um, What's it about? If you're a Bosch fan. uh, It's a please procedural kind of stuff um it's based in LA Bosch is a you know is a policeman uh well he's not anymore in legacy but he he was in the police department I can't remember the premise but he lives in the house on a on a mountain like this house on stilts basically on the side that oversees all of LA and um and half the show is about him, like, trying to make sure his house is okay. And the, and the rest of the show is just about police procedures. This is really well written. It's got great scripts. It's based on a book series um, originally. Right. My third favourite thing is another thing that only globally mobile people will understand or us expats in one of my WhatsApp groups. So it's a group of girls who all used to be in Germany and now most of them are not. Um, but we all speak different amounts of German, different spatterings of German. And one of them who is still based in Germany said, um, we went for a walk and we stopped in a church. They're in France. And we saw, we saw this. Sorry, they weren't in France. They're in another part of Germany. And it had a picture in, in the church of um, Jesus ha- carrying the cross and, <laughs> and a person called Veronica, who's apparently in the Bible. We've all now researched Veronica. Um, 
handing Jesus a picture of her kneeling before Jesus looks like she's smelling a, a, a cloth that she's giving to him. And the, the caption underneath said, Veronica Reich Jesu, the which is Veronica hands Jesus a, you know, a cloth for his you know, sweating cloth. And but it's also very similar to the word for sniffs. So Veronica sniffs <laughs> Jesus's cloth, and, and you could read it the same, like both ways. It's just the e and the i in the word if they change change directions. And she's like, "Why is she smelling Jesus's sweat towel? I don't understand." So we had like a whole day of us not understanding, researching Veronica in the Bible, and then having someone who is much better at German say, "Guys, guys, guys, she's not sniffing." She's handing it to him. But it just yeah. was one of those things where a little bit of knowledge can be uh, too Are much. Are you telling me Veronica <laughs> Veronica is a biblical name? Veronica is a biblical name. Veronica's in the Bible. Never knew I, myself. No, <laughs> I had always thought Veronica was like a 1950s name. I didn't know it was a much older name. That's incredible to me. That would be like you telling me that Margaret was in the Bible or Peggy Sue (laughs) was in the Bible or, do you know, that's where I put Veronica in my age of of names. Mm, Mm, Veronica was in the Bible. So Veronica was in the Bible not smelling Jesus's sweat towel. She was handing him one. So when he was was. walking with his cross. Wow. (laughs) Anyway, I just thought that that was funny. It's one of those things that is funny if you've, you know, when you're a student of language and you think you've got it all under control and (laughs) then it all goes horribly wrong. Actually, Nikki, speaking of Germany, and I just I'm going to take us, you know, back to uh, 30 minutes ago, but when people were talking about moving, that was one of the things we didn't discuss, that people said the shock of when you go to apartments in Germany and you have to put in your own kitchen. Oh, put in and your own kitchen, yes. Yes, which happened to you. You had to put in an Correct. IKEA kitchen in when you moved to Germany. And I don't think a lot of people are aware that that's how it works in Germany and that <laughs> that will happen to you, that you will have to put an IKEA. Because I only knew because we had lived in Libya and German people came and they bought flat packs of kitchens with them, which was obviously completely unnecessary in Libya and the Libyans thought they were crazy. But what do you mean you want to take my kitchen out and put your kitchen in? It just depends, right? So our apartment was completely stripped bare, but we sold our kitchen to the people who rented it after us. But I guess if they hadn't wanted our kitchen, uh, we would have had to pull it out and just give yeah. it away or do one of yep. those things where we lost a lot of money on it by selling it at short notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. All right, Nikki Moffat, I think we've covered everything, haven't we, now we have. for the week. It's been lovely Perfect. once again and uh, I'll see you next time. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye.